1: I
0: can't remember what I was supposed to say. Has <laughs> <laughs> a reoccurring role on HBO Ballers. Mark Slareth, handsome son bitch, get out here! And makes one hell of a bowl of green chili. It's Mark Slareth, and this is the Stinkin' Truth podcast.
1: Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth podcast. Mark Slareth, alongside of Mike Evans, Scott the Huff, our producer. Like to thank our presenting sponsor, the great people over at Core cool Water. If you haven't tested or tasted Core cool Water. You should go out there and get yourself some. It's available at 7-Eleven. I'm telling you what you're going to love it. The big blue cap, that's core water, perfectly balanced to match your body's uh, pH level of 7.4 for ultimate hydration, gigantic suck hole. You can get all kinds of water down your gullet while you're working out. That's what I do. I mean, it's incredible. Look at me. I'm amazing. Um, that's core water. I'm amazing because of core water, essentially. They they help me be amazing. Um, anyhow, that's core water. Check them out with Hydrate. At
0: core.com. Mike, how are you, buddy? Well, I drink core as well. I don't look as amazing, but I feel good. Yeah, you do. You know? You do. You know, I,
1: we're, I'm not amazing we're, yet. The way we're we're sitting right now, like we're in this studio, and I am, your chair is sunk way, way down. Yeah, And I am sitting way above you, and it's almost like this, you've taken on this subservient role to me, but from the angle that I'm sitting at, I really can see your wispiness.
0: You can like, see how the light sort of refracted through my hair. Right, and I, there's there's room there. Yes, and I can see,
1: <laughs> I can see the dome. It reminds me of watching the NFC Championship game. I'm reminded <laughs> as I sit here and you're subservient to me of you
0: know New Orleans and the and the game that was in the Superdome. By dome, the Missouri. way, you as an offensive lineman, I'm I'm fascinated to hear. Because I'm watching that first half, and I am seeing the absolute chaos that seems to be enveloping the Rams as they're trying to get in and out of huddles, mm. get to the line of scrimmage, communicate. i got to ask you, as somebody that probably played in that kind of environment, is it really that bad? Oh, it's miserable. It, 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 I mean, it's miserable
1: in that you can't hear anything. Sometimes you can't even hear the call in the huddle. And so you're walking up the line of scrimmage, and you're asking your buddy who plays beside you. Did you hear what the quarterback asked? You know, did you hear what the call was? Um, and so you're trying to figure that out. And then you're at the line of scrimmage. You're going silent count. Or if he does get under center, he does actually call the play. You don't hear it. So a lot of times the quarterback will move his head from side to side, and he'll go. You know, so you're looking up out of the corner of your eye. You're kind of got your head tilted, and you're looking at the quarterback. So when he looks at you and goes blue eighty or whatever. You know, and then he turns the opposite way. You can't hear a damn thing, and you can't hear the initial blue eighty. You can feel it a little bit, and you can see the rhythm of his mouth. And then you get in your stance, and you're just like you're doing the cadence in your head. So you know the rhythm. This is why the rhythm. This is why rhythm in offense is so important. So if I go, if it's on two, it's like blue eighty, blue eighty, ha-ha-ha! And so I know in my head that that's our cadence, right? So as soon as I see him mouth that first blue 80, I get in my stance and I'm doing it in my head. So I'm trying to stay rhythm and then I'm just taking off. And you know, if I'm offsides, I'm offsides, but I'm just trying to figure out what that rhythm is. I'll never forget the very first play of the game. We went to Kansas City in 1997 season 98 playoffs. They're the they're the number 1 seed. It's the divisional round of the playoffs. And it's arrowhead, and it's loud. And and first thing you have to understand, in crowd noise like that, like you saw in New Orleans yesterday, you take out part of your running game, you scrap pile it, you take out about 30 40% of your passing game. Like, hey, no seven-step drops. Any five-step drops with a hitch, you got to get them out. Anything, you know, it's three-step drops, it's five-step drops with no hitch. That's all we can really run. And so you take all that stuff out of your game plan unless you get to the point where you know, you're controlling the tempo, you're running the ball, and the crowd is kind of shut up a little bit. But you you go into it expecting that. But I'll never forget, I'm trying to figure out the rhythm of the snap counts. the very first play of the game. And so I'm looking up at John Elway, and he it's blue 80, whatever, and I miss it. And as I'm about ready to turn my head back down, because I'm trying to pick the whole thing up, and it's the very first play of the game, man, I start to get my head back toward the defensive lineman, but I'm still looking up, and wham! I get hit, I mean, literally in the ear hole, and now I'm scrambling, and you're windmilling your arms, you know, you're trying to, as I'm getting shoved back into the backfield, I'm trying to regain my balance and whoop, and grab the defensive lineman, and I end up stopping him. But, I mean, ears ringing, just got hit in the jaw, ear hole, and I'm scrambling to stop this pass rush, and it's straight bull rush by former Denver Bronco Dan Williams. I mean, he shortened my neck, and he's a big old son of a gun, right? Um, and it got him stopped, but it was like, damn, I've got to have, I got to find a better system because I didn't hear a damn thing. And you know, by the time I turned to try to get back into the rhythm of the snap count to look at him, I'd already gotten hit in the ear hole. So. Like, that stuff is real. It's exceptionally hard, and a lot of teams think that they can manage it or whatever. I think one of the things you have to do in those situations, you have to have some call-it-run-it plays and just go on, you know, silent cadence or whatever and just walk up the line of scrimmage regardless of what they're in and
0: run the play. So the Saints have to really be kicking themselves because they had to settle for two field goals to make it 6 nothing when they easily could have been up 14 nothing. Tight end catches that ball he should have. Uh-huh. Breeze throws a better ball to Michael Thomas. I mean, it should be 14 nothing. Correct. But... That said, I I think my bigger takeaway is just the ability of the Rams to withstand all that and 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 stay in the game and get back into the game when it looked like they were just it, it was too chaotic for them. They looked like they looked rattled. They right. looked out of sorts. They looked ill prepared. And for them to settle the game down in the face of all that, I, I think is is remarkable. And yeah.
1: find a way to win ugly to settle themselves down. Um, you know, the the guy who's been the most productive player they've had on the offense all season long, arguably Todd Gurley, half the time, half the game he was sitting on the stationary bike on the sideline just pedaling. CJ Anderson took over for him. He I mean he had a poor game um, you know, or didn't start off well. And I I think he's nursing some type of knee injury. I know he's been he he missed some time with a knee injury. I think it's more severe than their than their, you know, letting us know. But um, the bottom line is your ability to overcome those circumstances, to find a way to hang into that game and and get yourself a victory at the end. I thought that the juxtaposition of the way the Rams handled the diversity versus the way the Saints mishandled the diversity was the difference in that game. Now we could sit there and talk all day long, Mike, about the pa the pi call that wasn't called or the helmet the helmet that wasn't called, but. You know that was that was managed so poorly. First off, you've got the ball down there in the red zone. You run it twice. You make the you make the Rams call both their timeouts, and then on third down you can run it again, settle for a field goal. But by the time they get the ball back, there's literally they have no timeouts, and they're uh, I don't know what the clock would have been at that point, but I think it would have been underneath a minute. I mean, it, it's just like they completely mismanaged that particular scenario. And then I just thought that the Saints made it more about we didn't get a call than, hey, man, we got a bad call. Let's respond to adversity. Where the Rams throughout the entirety of that game just kept responding to adversity one after the other after the other. They seemed to handle the adversity better than the Saints did. It was almost like, oh, we got screwed last year with the Minnesota Miracle, and here we go again. We're getting screwed again. And never really felt like they adjusted.
0: Um, It felt like they were stuck in, we didn't get the call, that cost us the game. Well, then that's Sean Payton's fault then, right? I mean, he, he made such a big deal of it and didn't let it go. All anybody on the Saints had to do is look over at their leader, their head coach, who's just bitching and moaning about this this call. At that point, does he just have to ignore it, no matter how he feels? Right. You table it, that emotion until after the game.
1: Absolutely, you got to suck it up. I mean, I've always been one, Mike, and that one—that's one. Like, if you—if you get the call right, the Saints win that game. Okay, so you know, but i i have never let it. I, I've always been coached throughout my career. And I've always bought into it and believed it, that the game has never settled on one play. And you had many opportunities to win that game. You know, I mean, Jared Goff gets flushed out of the pocket, extends the play, holds the ball. You come off the coverage of Everett, the tight end, who's covered. I mean, he is is totally covered. And you give up a completion, and then he breaks a couple of tackles, and takes another whatever it was, 10, 15 yards to put yourself in field goal position. It's a remarkable play. But once again, you didn't make the plays when you needed to make the plays, and you kept drives extended. you got to give the Rams a lot of credit. But again, um, I'm just one of those guys that doesn't believe it comes
0: down to one play. You you may Even if that one call, if gotten right, the stat geeks are already – come out and said if the saints get that call it's a 98 percent chance they win if they don't throw it on first down and throw an
1: incomplete pass down there they run it that you know you're gonna you're gonna burn up all the rams timeouts i mean there there there's so many what ifs i just again i was always coached to say like it never comes down to one play or don't let it come down to one play you guys are kind of in control. You guys have the opportunity to make plays. Don't let it come down to one play. If you let it come down to one play, maybe this is a better way to say it, if you let it come down to one play, then that's you. That's on you. And and that's what I felt. I felt like it came down to that one play, and the Saints let that one play affect them throughout the rest of that regulation and in overtime.
0: Well, good luck explaining. What, what you just said makes perfect common sense and i've always been with right. you as well i i think it's too easy it's the losers lament to blame the officiating but you know good good luck convincing a, a saints fan of yeah. common sense or anybody else who believes sure. that you know the uh, the fix was in you know you want to get the la market there into the right. super bowl i mean there's there's plenty of people who feel like you know the, they were robbed right you oh, know and i and i
1: totally get that and I mean, ultimately, um, you know, you can't that that call can't be made. That can't happen. I mean, it's, and, and you've let that happen. I think it's I think it's a catalyst for change, and I think the NFL needs to address kind of instant replay and all that kind of all to those to
0: play like that. I, I know you're not a big instant replay
1: guy. No, but the reason I'm not a big instant replay guy, Mike, is because you know we always say, "Hey, we want instant replay to to get it right." That's what we always talk about. And and I get that, but it you know to me it oftentimes it doesn't it doesn't overturn calls that I think need to be overturned. Um, you know, I, I, here's the other thing I hate: I, I hate the fact that we we say hey we're going to use instant replay because it's important to get it right, but that's only of course if you have a challenge flag. So if you're out of challenge flags, it doesn't matter if we get it right. Like that to me is not congruent. Like that doesn't make any sense. If we're gonna get it right, let's get it right. The other thing I hate is if all the calls are being made out of New York, if they have, you know, the, the final say, then why the hell is our official need to run over to the sideline to look at the Microsoft tablet thing? Right? Like just put a bug down on the bottom of the screen or put a you know a lower third and, and say, Hey, this replay brought to you by Microsoft. Well, I don't need to see the tablet, I don't need to go through the histrionics. Like my my whole thing is if you have officials up in the booth and they're watching the game, if there's something that's bang bang play that needs to be looked at, you buzz down and say, hey, stop the game for a second. I'm looking at something. Okay, no, move on. Or hey, we need to go to replay. I, I, I don't understand why all of a sudden a guy's got to pull a flag out of his sock and throw it right before they snap the ball. I just that whole that whole system doesn't make it just doesn't make sense to me if it's truly about getting it right which it never seems to be truly about – nothing ever seems to be definitive in the NFL. Like, hey, it's all about safety, you know, but it's not really about safety. But we're going to say it's all about safety. It's like it's all about getting it right, but it's not really about getting it right.
0: Are the overtime rules right? Uh, the overtime They're being ru- debated after right. Tom Brady. Okay. And, and, and 3-0 they, in the playoffs in overtime, and in all three overtime wins, the other, the other guy didn't get the ball. Yeah, well, I mean – Here's my here's my
1: belief on that. I like I like the overtime rules the way they are. They don't bother me a bit. Um and I would say I would have said that had, you know, Kansas City got the ball and drove right down and scored a touchdown and and Tom Brady would have never touched the ball. Now, if you if you want to sit there and say, "Hey, this is a quarterback driven league and it's about both quarterbacks getting an opportunity and we're going to change the rule based on that because, you know, we're going to we're going to essentially service the fans that we've created and the fans that we've created um don't really understand football but they do know fantasy football and so we want to make it look as much like fantasy football as possible if that's the direction you're going in you're making money off of that then i get it if that's what you want to do but you know football you hear every coach talk about all three phases of the game offense defense and special teams you had a defense on the football field that had an opportunity to stop a 75 yard drive that had three third and ten conversions I don't know what else you want me to tell you. Like like you said, you you shit in your hat as a defense. So, um you have ample opportunity to stop them and you didn't get it done. So, that one for me is like, hey, that's overtime. Those are the rules and um at least stop them in the red zone and make them kick a field goal. Then you you have a chance to put your offense on the football field. It that, that those rules overtime does not bother me a bit. It really doesn't.
0: And New England still had to make plays. You know, I grew up back east, so I learned all about the Salem witch trials as a kid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if Tom Brady and Julian Edelman lived back then, oh yeah. they'd be they're witches. They're burned at the, the stake. They're witches. I mean the, the 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 throws that the Brady made in overtime and the catches that Edelman made, when everybody in the building knew the ball was going there, right? And just the way that Brady. Know, thread of the needle, and Edelman, the way he makes catches in traffic and gets hammered and bounces back. You had a teammate Ed McCaffrey back in the days that was like that. I mean, every time he got hit, you're like, right. oh, Lord, he's not going to get up from that yeah. one. I mean, just incredible plays, and and that's what I love so much about that, that game, especially in the fourth quarter and overtime, that you know, all the you, you kind of got a sense that a lot of the schemes had been sort of figured out by both offenses, and then it just became playmakers making plays right. up and down the field both sides. And New England made just a few more.
1: I've always believed that that, you know, players overcome scheme, great players overcome that stuff. But when you're pretty evenly matched, a lot of it comes down to coaching and some subtle things that happened in that game. One, the Patriots completely controlled the ball. They had the ball for 43 minutes and 59 seconds, I believe. So 44 minutes of a total, what was it, 67-minute game or whatever it was, I mean, which is insane, right? It's absolutely incredible. But you watch them in a day and age where, what do we want to do, man? We want to run plays and rapid plays, you know, in the spread offense in the college system. They huddled up every time. They snapped the ball with less than 10 seconds every single time. They took their time. Why? Because we're going to possess the ball, we're going to run the football, and we're going to keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. That's the best place for him, um, for us to have a chance to win this game. That's coaching. Tell you the other thing. Devise a plan. How many times do you see nose guard and defensive tackle run kind of out and the defensive end loop back inside? So inside pressure, creating it through pass rush lanes in games, and all of a sudden – showing Mahomes, oh I got to get an outside escape route and yet now all the guys that we ran this game to are outside and we've pressured you once again. Like very, I mean, subtle differences. I'll give you another subtle differences. Those are two good things that happen for New England, things that people don't talk about but you know, as I'm watching the game I'm like, man they're they're masterful at their at their recognition of clock recognition of game plan this is a beautiful job of executing exactly what you need to do to make sure that you take a 12 position possession game for the for the 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 Kansas City Chiefs and make it a seven possession or eight possession game that's how we're going to win this football game executed to perfection and then I look at Andy Reid so Tyreek Hill is getting double teamed okay He's getting double teamed. I get that you've got a bunch of one-on-ones. Travis Kelsey should be winning. I get that Sammy Watkins should be winning. I get that. That's great. But still, Tyreek Hill is the most dynamic offensive player in football. How about running a jet sweep? How about running a fake jet sweep and running a screen off that or a bubble screen? How about getting him more than three targets? And oh, by the way, when he's getting double teamed, that double team is coming from a deep safety position that's sitting at twelve yards. How about getting in a bunch stack formation and run a shallow cross, getting the ball on a three yard completion and letting him outrun the defense? Like, I was very disappointed that your most dynamic weapon gets three targets. You had one catch for forty two yards at three targets, and I get that he's getting double teamed. I get, I get that you've got a lot of really good offensive players and you're getting one-on-ones, but man, shouldn't you have the ball in it? He was he content to use him as a
0: decoy? I mean, that's that's a, in effect what it looks like.
1: Yeah. No, 100%. Um, and so all those things, you know, I, I just look, and, and by the way, you know, the demise of, of Rob Gronkowski, mm. that dude had one catch in the divisional round. He had however many catches he had yesterday. That dude is a difference maker, blocking he's a complete player and i believe 97 plays he he was on every play 97 and 97 um i think there was 94 that counted but i think there was a couple of penalties but he was in on every play i mean he's a that guy's the best tight end in my mind i think he's the best tight end in the history of football because of that completeness to his game yeah he does everything and and especially in a day and age where every you know every tight end just wants to be a receiver what do you need me to do? You need me to dispense justice on the line of scrimmage? You need me to block a D end? You need me to block a linebacker? Do You need me to motion back across the formation and and wham a nose guard? I mean, what is it that you need? You line up outside the numbers one on one on a safety or on a corner? You need me to run slams from the inside? What do you need me to do?
0: Because I can do it all and I'm great. I mean, it's, it, he's phenomenal. Well, the matchup is set uh, Rams, Patriots. It's a, a rematch of the Patriots. First Super Bowl back in uh, 2001 when they beat the St. Louis Rams, and uh, we'll of course have much more on the matchup as we move along through this week. And of course, you and I will both be in Atlanta next week, so we'll have a chance to do the uh, do the show here from Atlanta next week.
1: Yeah, so uh, we will do that. And uh, man, I'm I'm really excited about this. By the way, uh, I've got uh, a little question mark right here. Just a bonus for you guys for a chance to win a uh, clip and catch. So it's C L I P the letter N catch.com. If you want to check that out. And this is a little landscaping deal that I have uh, going on with a buddy of mine. I, I marked them all with a little uh, heart there on my Twitter feed, Mike. So if you want to find one, this is question mark. And um, the question that I answer, I'm going to, uh, I'll reach out to you via DM and uh, I'll get your address and I'll send you a clip and catch.
0: Hi, This one's from uh, Tom who asked, can you tell another Joe Gibbs story about leadership, especially after a tough loss? And uh, I think it, it, you know, yeah. fits with especially the Chiefs. You know, uh, Andy Reid talked about how embarrassing it was to have the Lamar Hunt Trophy be given in the building mm-hmm. to, the, to the visiting team yeah. in the other locker room. So, you know, how does how does Andy Reid take this loss and spin it?
1: Yeah, forward well, as a positive. Well, Joe Gibbs, uh, you know, one of the things Joe Gibbs, I'll never forget, um, just how he how he dealt with us. As just as men in general. And, you know, great leadership happens when you care more about those that you lead than you care about yourself. And anytime that we lost, Joe took 100% responsibility for those losses. And as a player, I always appreciated it. You know, some coaches will say, hey, we didn't do a good enough job as a coaching staff, this, that, and the other, but you players, you should have, and that always irritated me. Right? I mean it's already tough losing is hard, right? It's it's bad. But you already know that.
0: You don't right. need to be told that.
1: But Joe Joe always took the approach of if we lose or you guys don't play well, it's because we didn't prepare you as coaches to play well. We didn't put you in a position to play well. We failed at our jobs and that's why you failed on the field. And so I um I always really appreciated his approach that way. We started a season at 11-0, and um, and we lost a home game to the Cowboys. And it was actually, we knocked Troy Aikman out of the game, and Steve Berline took over and beat us like 24-21 or something. Um, and I'll never forget, walking back in that locker room, you're just completely disappointed because you start off 11-0, and and you're a damn good football team, right? And Joe Gibbs rallied us up before the media got in and just said, this is 100% on me. This is my fault. I didn't prepare you guys. And he's like, "What an awesome run! You guys started off 11 and 0. This is incredible." But let's really scrutinize ourselves. Let's look hard at how we can be better, and um, and let's fix it. And you know, continue on. And so he just had he he had a way about him. He's one of the most regal people I've ever been around. Um, but he had just had a a great way about presenting that, and and a coaching staff that that takes full responsibility for you as players. You know, it just made you want to play hard for the guy. It made you want to go out there and win for the guy. And, and it's one of the things that, you know, we've we've talked a lot about Sean McVay. It's one of the things that really irritates me about, about oh, we'll just go get somebody off the Sean McVay tree, you know, some quarterbacks coach or some coordinator. And I'm, I'm like, how disrespectful can you be to Sean McVay? There's two types of people in this world. Those who walk into a room and energize it, those who walk out of a room and energize it. He walks into a room and he gives it unbelievable energy. And to think that you're going to replicate his leadership and the way he deals with his players, I had a couple of his players tell me, Sean is the 54th guy on our roster. He's one of us. And, I mean, he there's a, a, a rhyme and reason for everything they do in a, as an organization. Like... I'm not just telling you to run this play, but I'm telling you we're going to run this play. Here's why we're going to run it. Here's what it's going to set up, and here's how we're going to benefit from it. So every guy on that roster understands what they're doing, and that's Sean McVay. Like, so I find it completely disrespectful when everybody and their brother's uncle in the NFL thinks, if I just get one of his assistants, we're going to win because you know he's Sean McVay. Like, there are very few people, and I've told you this many times before, I met with Sean McVay as a 32-year-old guy, 31 actually, the first time I met with him calling a game, and I walked out of that meeting going, I've accomplished nothing in my life and I'm a loser. Like, that's how I felt. Like, that guy is so accomplished and he's so dynamic. Um, And to think you're going to replicate that because somebody worked with him or brushed up against him, I think is is disrespectful to him. Boy,
0: if Mark felt that way, imagine how you'd feel to Huff. (laughs) That's (laughs)
1: That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's <laughs> miserable oh, life.
0: That's a, that's
1: a great, that is a valid point. You haven't done shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, for everybody involved, this is Tom Pounder, by the way. Congratulations, what? Tom Pounder with that
1: question. Tom Pounder, I will, uh, okay, I got you, Tom. I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to kick you a DM, my friend. How about that? That would be a uh, direct message if it were. Uh, anyhow, hey, for everybody involved, in the Stink Truth podcast, we'll be back with you uh, um, from the Super Bowl, right?
0: Or later on this oh, week. See one, later on this week. Uh, later on this week. To, uh, t- I, I want to know what you played in three of them, as you like to remind everybody, uh, three and zero in Super Bowls, uh, undefeated. What is Super Bowl like? Uh, Super Bowl prep week like for these guys? Okay, yeah, we'll we'll handle that. We'll do a whole
1: lot more uh, over the course of the week. Then we'll be out uh, at Super Bowl as well. Uh, for the week of the Super Bowl, so uh, we'll hit you guys back up then. But that's it for the Stinking Truth podcast. For uh, our uh, presenting sponsor, um, that's the great people over at Corewaterclipandcatch.com If you want more information on that, and uh, Tom Ponder, congratulations! We'll be back with you later on in the week.
0: The Stinking Truth podcast presented by Core Water. Subscribe to the Stinking Truth podcast via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud and plenty of other podcast platforms.